Hi, my name's Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. Well, in the mid-1990s, there was a woman named... Uh, Maxine Clark. She resigned in the 90s, early 90s, as uh, the president of Payless Shoes. Y'all remember Payless Shoes? All right, she resigned as the president, and she wanted to start a new venture, and it was an interactive toy company, and it was really an interactive toy experience, and it was aimed at children, and it was called Build-A-Bear. Y'all remember Build-A-Bear? All right, 26 years old or, or so, 25 years old. It was founded in 1997 in St. Louis. And now, if you're not familiar with Build-A-Bear, Build-A-Bear customers go through an interactive process where they, they choose their bear or stuffed animal of some kind. Then the bear is assembled and tailored according to their own preferences in the store. And now the, these preferences can include anything from scents, and not like common sense, but actual smells. Scents and sounds and voices and outfits. And in 2017, Build, Build a Bear workshops, 2017, they made a $358 million revenue. That's a lot of money right there. I'm building a bear, right? It's a lot of money. And, and, and so you can build a friend of your own desire. Now, long before Build-A-Bear and continuing even today, mankind's kind of had a similar business. And it's not a bear, but we have been making for a long time a God in our own image. We make him look and feel and smell cuddly and soft, and we fill him with whatever qualities that we want him to have. And we dress him up cute, and we make him... One that we can sell easily. And so we have tried doing that. But according to the scriptures, anytime we do this, we commit the sin of idolatry. Worshiping and serving gods that are not the one true God. And so worship, worship is our response to the way that God reveals himself in scripture. It is a response to how he is revealed. It is a response to the salvation that he has accomplished on our behalf. And remember, I think on the screen we have the quote from A.W. Tozer, uh, but he said something along these lines. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. It's the most important thing about us. And so the question for us today is, what kind of build of air God do we have? Do we, have we, have we made a God in our image? We've filled him the way that we want him to be. We've given him the qualities that we want him to have. We make him smell sweet, and he is soft and cuddly, and we propose this God to the world. Or are we worshipers of the one true living God? Because what we believe about God is the most important thing about us. 
And so as we have been in this sermon series through the book of Exodus, we've sought to ask two questions. Number one is, who am I? So we looked at the first few chapters of the book of Exodus, addressed five things about us, and now we are turning to the question, who is God? These two questions are in our passage today. So if you've wondered where I'm coming from, it's straight out of this section. Who am I and who is God? We have learned that first God is holy. He has revealed himself as holy, the thrice holy God. He is unlike any other. He is set apart from all the rest. And he is perfect in nature and in substance. There is nothing impure in God. There is no fault in God. And we worship him as he is. And his holiness creates a problem for sinful man. But God in his mercy has done something that we could not do. He has brought about a healing of our holiness. And what I mean by that is that he transferred through Jesus his holiness into our account as he withdrew our sin into his. So there is this good news that his holiness is now imputed into us and we are holy as he is holy. Second is that we have learned that God is intimately near and infinitely powerful. That God is with you He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. He hears every one of your prayers. And our God, the God of the Bible, is the only one who can do something about it. That's why Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father in heaven. He is intimately near like a perfect Father. And He is infinitely powerful in heaven. And the Bible says that God sits in heaven. He does all that He pleases. So, today, we want to look at this idea of God is the God who redeems. The God who redeems. And so I want you to look at verse 7. We'll read verse 7 through verse 9. It says, The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And so just for you who are sufferers and sinners out there today, God hears you, God is with you, and your sin and suffering draws him, his heart to you, does not push him away from you. Your suffering is not an evidence that he has forsaken you, but rather that he is right there with you in your suffering. He's intimately near, but then it says, verse 8, and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of all the ites. In verse 9, And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression of which, with which the Egyptians oppressed them. He is infinite, intimately near, infinitely powerful, and He is our Redeemer. And we see that right here in these two or three verses. We see that God will bring them out, and He will bring them in. He will rescue them out of Egypt, and He will bring them into the promised land. And that is what we know as redemption. And so God's, God's redemption, God is always multifaceted. Oftentimes we view God's salvation as I was saved from something. I was saved from my sin, from hell. I was saved from judgment. But we don't often talk about what I was saved to. And so here at Seneca Baptist, we believe that the to is just as important as the from. That God's redemption is multifaceted. It's two sides of a coin, the same coin of redemption. We're saved from these things and we're saved to these things. What are these things? We're saved into God's people. 
We're saved into the family of God. We're saved into His kingdom. We're saved from and to. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 says it this way, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, and He has transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. We are transferred, saved from, saved to. Now, then he says in verse 10, look at it. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now, we talked about a few weeks ago how Moses, who had been longing for the redemption of Israel for a long time, was the whole conversation. I've seen it, Moses. I've seen their suffering. Yeah, I know. That's awesome. I'm so glad you're here. I've heard their cry. Yes, finally, he hears our cries. I know what's going on. Thank you that you know I'm going to deliver them. Woohoo! Now, Moses... You're going to go. Huh? Right? That was not what I was thinking you were going to say next. See, in my plan, right? No, God said, you're going to go. Moses, I'm going to send you. I'm going to send you. And so we, uh, we looked at that God appointed a human ministry to affect divine redemption. A human ministry to affect divine redemption. That's the same in our lives is that God wants to use a human ministry empowered by the Holy Spirit of God to affect, affect divine redemption among mankind. And God, by His grace, has chosen you and me to become a part of that human ministry to affect divine redemption. Isn't that exciting? And so if you just think that you're saved from something, you're missing out on all the things that you're saved to. This, I get to join God in His work as He rescues the perishing. Isn't that good? He could have chosen anybody in the world, but who did he choose? Us. We get to join him. We get to join him in this. Now, let me just tell you, his work's not dependent on us, just like it wasn't dependent on Moses, but we get the great, grand, wonderful privilege of being about our Father's business. His heart is drawn to those who are far from him. Ought not our hearts be the same? He says, Moses, you're going to go. Now, now, you and I are probably a lot like Moses. Moses, here's the commission. He's commissioned by God in this moment, and he goes, all right, I got a couple questions. Let's just clarify a few things here. Question number one, verse 11. Verse 11, he says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? Have you ever felt like that? Who am I? Like, why would you choose me of all the people in the world? Why didn't you choose somebody else? Who am I? Two things that he says, who am I about? Who am I to, A, go to Pharaoh? Don't you remember God 40 years ago? I killed a man in Egypt, and then I fled from Pharaoh because he wanted to kill me. Don't you remember that? You remember that story? God, because I don't want to go back. I ain't going back. I told myself I'd never go back. Have you ever told God what you'd never do? How'd that work for you? Right. He says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? And second, who am I that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And now let's just be honest, from our perspective, those are two really valid questions. If we were in Moses' shoes, we would say the same thing. Who am I? I'm, I'm highly, uh, inad entirely inadequate to do what God's calling me to do. And, and let's just be honest, God was not in disagreement. Well, yeah, Moses, you are highly inadequate. You are entirely uh, flawed, uh, but, 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 verse 12, but I will be with you. 
your your inadequacy, your sufficiency is not in you, Moses. And so if you think that you're going to do this in your own strength, in your own power, you are mistaken, my friend. But if you will walk with me, I will walk with you. And if you will be obedient to me, I will go with you. And I will do what you could never do. And I will be your sufficiency right there. Isn't that good news? Same is true for us. Same is true for us. And so what God didn't do in this moment is probably what we would imagine he would do. Moses, don't listen to that. You can do it. I mean, there are a lot of preachers who just want to tell you that you can. That you can do it. You're strong enough. You're smart enough. And doggone it, people like you. Some of you might catch that reference later. But but that's not what God does. It's not what God does. He does not give him this pep talk. You can do it. Go, Moses. Shoot for the stars. Aim high. Moses, you're right. You can't. But I will be with you. My Moses, you are insufficient, but I am not. I will be with you. My grace is sufficient. And guess what? My power is made perfect in weakness. And you're the perfect example of weakness. And so just watch me work in a weak man. See what I can do if you will just yield yourself to my power. I will use you to do what you would never be able to do in all of your life. Isn't that an incredible privilege that we get to be a part of that? And God will do the same thing through you and through me if we allow him, we yield ourselves to him. And this is what he says in verse 12, the end of verse 12. I'll be with you and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought up the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So Moses... Your motivation in all of this will be that when you come out of slavery, when you lead the people out, you'll come back to this mountain and you will worship me and serve me here. Now, I just need you to know, the the purpose of God's redemption is the worship of God. John Piper says it this way, missions exist because worship doesn't. And God desires to make worshipers out of those who were once idolaters. He want, I mean, if you read the book of Isaiah, that's what he's doing. He even says that one day jackals will praise you. And oh gosh, we're just those jackals in the Bible. And one day he redeemed us and he made us worshipers. The purpose of God's redemption is God's worship. Now, it's not to go to heaven. The first purpose of redemption is not to go to heaven. It's not to get out of hell free, right? It's not that my sins could be forgiven. All of those are about me. God redeemed me, not for me, but for him. And in him, in his redemption, I also am doubly, triply, infinitely blessed. But ultimately, the purpose of my redemption is him and him alone. Now that's kind of confronting to us because we often make salvation all about us. But God says the 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 motivation for you to go back to Egypt is one day I'm going to gather all my people at this mountain and they will bow down before me in worship. Does that sound a little bit like Revelation chapter 7 where one day all the peoples of the earth will be gathered around the throne of God and of the Lamb and they will bow down, cast their crowns before Him and say, Worthy are you to receive honor and glory and blessing. For 
you were slain, and with your blood you ransomed a people from every tribe and nation and language. And we will worship day and night in the temple. This is exactly what he's doing. This is is the purpose, that we are set free from sin to serve God fully. We are set free from slavery, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, to worship God with a whole heart. You are set free for His glory and purpose. And that was Jesus' motivation too. Do you remember Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, where it says, set your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him, He despised the cross, or endured the cross and despised the shame. Do you remember that verse in Hebrews chapter 12? That's who for the joy set before Jesus, He endured the cross and despised the shame. What's the joy set before Jesus? That one day, all of His people would be gathered to worship Him. That every knee would bow and every tongue would confess in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That that there'd be a people redeemed from slavery and set free to do what God had created them to do, and that's to worship Him and serve Him with a whole heart. So that was the first question, who am I? Second question is, who are you? Who are you? Look at verse 13 to 17. Then Moses said to God, okay, 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 I give in. But hypothetically speaking, if I go to Pharaoh and go to my people and I tell them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what's his name? Because that's a fairly honest question. What do I say? What do I say? Because, Because they live now in a pagan culture, don't they? Joseph is long gone, and there are many gods now in Egypt. There's Amun, or Ptah, the creator uh, deity. There's Osiris, the god of the dead. There's Hathor, the god of fertility, and the list goes on and on and on. So, in other words, if I go to these people who are living in a pagan culture, and I say, God has come to set you free and deliver you and redeem you, they're going to ask me, well, which god are you talking about? Which one are you talking about? Now, in our culture, that happens every day. Because in our culture, you can say God and mean a myriad of different things, right? So who are we talking about here? Can I tell you that when you're talking about God, don't use the name God. Use Jesus. Because it sets him apart from everybody else. So which one? Where does he fall in the hierarchy of gods? Because in the Egyptian worldview, there there was a hierarchy. This god was more or less powerful than this god, and this god was more powerful than that god. And there was a hierarchy. Where does he fall in that hierarchy? Because depending on who he is, I'll tell you if I want to go. And what does God say? Look, Look at verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Here's what God's saying. Church family, hear me. Here's what God's saying. I'm not assigned to a place or a time. I am not limited. I am not created. I am not dependent on another. Everything that is, is dependent on me. I am not confined to your thoughts. 
I am eternal. I am omnipotent. I am omnipresent. I am infinite. I am not defined by any group, religion, cult, or title. I am the defining force behind all the world. I am independent of all things. I am the uncaused cause. I am the beginning and the end. I am no Build-A-Bear. Don't build me in your image. Don't put me into your hierarchy or your boxes. I will not fit into your man-made theologies and no name you could give me will ever fully define me. I am that I am. That's who we get to worship. That's who we get to serve. That's who redeemed you. But if you want to know what to call me, Call me Yahweh. Look at verse 16. 15, I mean. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Verse 16, Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, has sent me to you. Now listen to me. The word the Lord in the New King James or the New American Standard Bible or the English Standard Bible, the Lord, the word the Lord is in all caps. Now, there are two names or two words in Hebrew for Lord. One is the uh, term we hear often. It was Adonai. Adonai was just a term for Lord. There was also another term for Lord, or what we translate into Lord, which is Yahweh. In the Jewish world, the term Yahweh, the name for God, is such a special name, a holy name, that the Jews would not even dare to say the name. But in transcribing the Old Testament, in making copies of the Old Testament, it would be Y-H-W-H. Jews will call it the Tetragrammaton. The Tetragrammaton. This is, this word Yahweh is connected to the verb Hayah, like Hayah, that's right. That's how you'll remember it. Hayah is I am that I am. Okay, the, the I am verb, Hayah, Yahweh is attached to that, and we have translated it the Lord, but it is Yahweh, Y-H-W-H. And so in Genesis chapter 1, when God's creating, every time it mentions the name of God, it's Elohim. But then when God creates mankind and he introduces himself to them, he no longer is referred to as Elohim, but he is now referred to as Yahweh. This is God's covenant name, the way that he reveals himself to his people throughout history. Whether it's Genesis to Revelation, his name is Yahweh. He is the one true living God. The name Yahweh is such a wonderful name that in Judges chapter 13 verse 18, Samson's father Manoah comes to the angel of the Lord who is God himself 
and says, says this, hey, what is your name? And God responds to him and says, why do you ask my name, seeing that it is wonderful? So he reveals himself in here as I am the Lord. And attached to his name in verse 17 is his promise. I want you to understand that his promise is connected to his name, his covenant name. That's important for us. That's why we believe that not one promise of God will ever fail. That's why we believe that God is a promise maker and a promise keeper. Isn't that good news? Why are his promises yes and amen? Because they're all attached to his name. And God is not a liar. Are you with me, church? He's not a liar. Verse 17 says, And I promise, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites into a land flowing with milk and honey. I promise. In other words, I promise to be your redeemer. So what does it mean to redeem? Redeem means, has kind of had two meanings. One is to rescue, and two is to buy back. No particular order, but to rescue from and to buy back. And in the Bible, the idea of redemption is always connected to buying out of or rescuing from slavery, from sin, from captivity, uh, from idolatry, from God's judgment. It's always rescuing from and buying back. Now, this idea is not a new idea. God has always been a redeemer. And if you just read the Bible through the lens of seeing that Yahweh is our promised redeemer, you'll see it. Genesis chapter 3, mankind falls into sin and God redeems them. How does he do that? He redeems them by covering their sin and their shame and their nakedness and sacrificing an animal on their behalf. The first gospel right there in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 6 through 9, God redeems and rescues Noah and his family out of an evil and wicked generation. Genesis 19, God rescues Lot and his family out of Sodom and Gomorrah. Genesis chapter 22, God redeems Isaac by giving another ram in his place. Joseph is redeemed from the pit, from slavery and from the prison and set in the second place of uh, authority in all of Egypt. The book of Judges is all about a cycle of rebellion, judgment, repentance, and redemption. Hosea and Gomer is all about God's redeeming work. Daniel is redeemed and rescued from the lion's mouth. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are redeemed from the power of the fire because there is one in the middle of the fire who walks with them. God is always a rescuer. He has always been a redeemer, and His plan has not changed. And so we need to see God's means of redemption right here in this passage. The means of redemption. Look at verse 18. 18 says, And they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with me, or met with us, and now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness. Verse 19. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So, verse 20, I will stretch out my hand and I will strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. 
okay, all right, Bible scholars, what are the, all the wonders that he's fixing to do in Egypt? What are they called? Plagues. How many plagues were there? Ten. Ten plagues. So the first plague, Nile into blood. Second plague was frogs. Third plague was gnats. Fourth plague was flies. If the fifth plague would have been mosquitoes, it all would have been over right there. Right there. Could have made this quicker. Saved a few chapters, right? Number five was livestock die. Number six is boils. Number seven is hail. Number eight is locusts. Number nine is darkness. And number ten is the death of the firstborn. Also known as the Passover. And so here's what I want you to see. In this beautiful story of redemption, how does God, what is the means of God redeeming His people? What are the wonders that He's going to show? How is He going to compel the king of Egypt with a mighty hand? Happened in two ways. Two ways. We see, we see the plagues, right? But the end of the plagues, redemption was accomplished through the blood of of the Passover lamb and the death of the king's son. Through the blood of the Passover lamb and the death of a king's son. Now when we think about being bought out of something, bought out, redeemed, being paid a price for, we often immediately think of money. But Isaiah chapter 52 verse 3 says, you were sold for nothing and you shall be redeemed without money. Chapter 53 is how that redemption is accomplished. First Peter says it this way. In chapter 1, verse 18 and 19 says, Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but the imperishable blood of the spotless lamb. That's how you were Redeemed the imperishable blood of the spotless lamb. Can you see a theme, a thread of redemption from Exodus to 1 Peter, Jesus? Can you see it? The precious blood of the spotless lamb is how you were redeemed. You were ransomed. You were bought back at a price. And the price is no financial sum, but it's the sum of God's own shed blood. Jesus is the great I am. Jesus is the great I am. I want you to look at John chapter 8, verse 56 through 59 with me. Jesus has this really crazy, riveting, intense conversation with the Jews. And he says to the Jews, who the Son sets free will be free indeed. Glory. What a great verse. And they look at Jesus and say, we're children of Abraham. We've never been enslaved. Do you not know your own history? What are you talking about, Willis? Right? They didn't know. They didn't know. Or they were just rejecting it. Jesus goes on to say, you're not of your father Abraham, but rather you're of your father the devil. Jesus could write a book, The Ways to Make Friends, right? You, you're not of father Abraham. You're of your father the devil. Jesus goes on to talk about, right here in 56, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. He, Jesus just said that Abraham, who'd been dead for a couple thousand years, had seen Jesus' day and he rejoiced in it. 
the Jews said to him, You're not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, what? Okay, Jesus was speaking in neither Hebrew or Aramaic. So for him to say, before Abraham was, I am, he would have said exactly what God did here on the mountain. Tell him that I am sent me to you. Ryan, he wasn't saying that. You're making that up. Well, what did it say? So, verse 59, so they picked up stones to throw at him. They knew exactly what Jesus was saying. And they were about to kill him for the sin of blasphemy. Or what they perceived to be the sin of blasphemy. Here's what I want you to know. Jesus is the great I am. The way that he redeemed us. Jesus is our redeemer. In Exodus, God redeemed his people from Egypt after the Passover lamb was slain and its blood applied. And after God's judgment was poured out on the king's son. Our redemption is accomplished by God in a similar way. Jesus is the great Passover lamb who was slain. His blood was shed for us. And Jesus is the prince of heaven who was judged and he died so that when we hide under the blood of Jesus, the angel of judgment will pass over us because it didn't pass over Jesus. Our, our redemption was accomplished by the, through the blood of the Passover lamb and the death of the king's son, the king of glory. And when he rose from the grave, he led a host of captives out of slavery into the promised land. just like we see in the book of Exodus. It's the same word picture. He's hearkening back to millions of people being redeemed from slavery, and it says we, Paul says, we are being led in triumphal procession. It is through Christ alone that we can be redeemed. Now, I want to get practical real fast as I close. Practical implications of our redemption accomplished by Jesus. We are set free from slavery to sin into service of God. We're set free from slavery to sin into the service of God. You are not set free for yourself. This is what... Paul says in Romans chapter 6, verse 12 through 13, he says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Paul's kind of going back to chapter 6, verse 1, where he says, Should we continue in sin so that grace may abound? May it never be. Let not sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. You've been set free from sin and you have been set free to serve God. That's why you exist, to serve Him and to glorify Him. This is a good and great blessing. Blessing. 
1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 to 20 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You've been bought with a price. The most extravagant price ever paid, ever known. The most extravagant price has been set forth for your freedom and you have been set free, so don't use it as a means to glorify yourself, to serve yourself, or to appease your passions. Rather, glorify God, serve God, and may one day He look down upon you because of your life well spent in service to Him and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Number two, the second practical implication of this redemption is that we have a change of identity. Overnight, they went from Egypt's slaves to Yahweh's people. And in an instant, when you trust Jesus, you go from slavery to sin to Yahweh's people. Talk about a complete redefinition I have been living for my entire life this way in slavery in Egypt, and now who am I? The problem comes when we try to let other people define that for us, or we try to define our new purpose or identity for ourselves. Rather, God is crystal clear who we are and whose we are, and that identity and purpose should redefine us as we have been remade as new creations in Christ. We now have a personal God. We once worshipped of this world, the spirit that's now working in the sons of disobedience, we followed him like Paul says, but now we have Yahweh, our personal God. Three, there is a fresh hope. There is a fresh hope. Look at verse 21 and 22, and I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. When you go, you shall not go empty, but each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold, jewelry, and for clothing, you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. There is a fresh hope. And in, any, in other words, you, you came into this, you had nothing, and you will go out rich in Christ. You came into this with not a penny of righteousness to your name. You will go out of this transaction with a holy God full of Christ's righteousness. You will come into this unholy and impure, you will come out of this with Christ's holiness and purity. You will be blameless once again. Uh, Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. He emptied himself of all the blessings of heaven to redeem you so that he might fill you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Isn't that good news? And they went from homeless to homebound. Not bound at home, but rather they were bound to home. They were going to home. They set their faces 
toward the promised land. They were sojourners now, moving on. And that's our story. This place is not our home. This world, as it is, is under some level of authority of the evil one. But we are heading to a new home where our citizenship is in heaven. We are only sojourners here. Don't get too comfortable here. But if we want to serve the Lord here, we say through the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us, how do I bless this world so that I might not leave alone? The joy in heaven, one of the joys in heaven, is going to be seeing who your life impacted, or let me rephrase that, God used you to impact their life. One of the joys is going to be seeing who in heaven is here because of how God used a yielded person filled with the Spirit. The most selfish thing we could do is to try to go to heaven alone. These people were homebound. They were headed to the promised land, and we are headed to the promised land also. We have a fresh hope. Why? Because this world ain't as good as it's getting. Let me tell you, for the unbeliever, this is as good as it's going to get. But for the believer, for the one who has trusted in Jesus, the spotless lamb who is hiding under his blood, who's been covered from God's judgment, for that person, this is the worst it's going to get. So will everyone be redeemed? Can I just be really honest? I wish every... I, I wish that the Bible said that everybody, that Jesus died, now that now everybody gets to go to heaven, but that's not true. But I wish it was. I want to believe that God would save everybody. And some even preach that when Jesus was dying on the cross, he died for everybody, and he did die for everybody, but his blood is only sufficient for those who trust in it. It's efficient for everybody, but it's sufficient, you see, sufficient for only those who hide under it. I mean, when we look at the story, even hidden in our passage right here, there is a small hint that not everybody's going to go. Look, verse 21, And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. When you go, you shall not go empty, but each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house. people of Israel lived in Goshen. So this could either be speaking one of two things. It's either speaking to neighbors in Goshen who did not trust the Lord and His promise to redeem them, or it's speaking to those who were serving in the household of a mistress like Joseph did in Potiphar's house. But not everybody's going to go. When we look at the story, only those who trusted God hid under applied the blood and left Egypt were redeemed. And, and so I just need to know that you will only be redeemed if there is repentance and faith in your life. Jesus died to offer forgiveness and redemption, but only those who trust God's promise, hide under the blood, leave Egypt, and continue walking to the promised land will be saved. 
Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, but salvation is evidenced by repentance, by our fruit, and by perseverance. I prayed a prayer. Isn't that enough? That would mean that prayers are magical. And that's not what the Bible reveals. I got baptized. That would mean that those waters are something more than tap water. No, friend. Have you trusted in God's promises? Have you hidden yourself under the mercy of His blood? When God said, let's go, are you walking out of Egypt? Are you living a lifestyle of repentance and faith? When you sin, do you turn from sin and turn to Christ? What fruit is your life bearing? And are you persevering to the end? I'll close with this quote. Charles Spurgeon says, in, in his sermon about redemption, one of his sermons about redemption. He says, But for all that, although man is highly elevated in the scale of being and stands even at the very top of being as respects this world, having dominion over all the fowl of the air and the fish of the sea and whatever passes through the sea, yet if thou, O created one, be not redeemed, Everything about thee will only be turned into a curse. So that it were better for you that a millstone had been tied about thy neck, that, that you hadst been thrown into the depths of the sea, or even better for thee that thou hast never been born. If thou art not redeemed, but being bought with a price makes our existence eternal life, and it makes to be unredeemed our existence in endless death. There is a reward for those who trust in Him, and there is a judgment for those who don't. And I just want to encourage you, friends, I don't know all of you. I'm, I'm looking at faces that I've never laid my eyes on before today. And so I don't know why God brought you here, but it's no accident. And if you've never trusted in Jesus, don't miss an opportunity. Church family, just because you're, you're here doesn't mean you're saved. But you can be. Because he offers it. So may it be, and may we live as a redeemed people in this world that we live in. Father, bless your word. Thank you for your gospel, Lord. The gospel that laid down at the highest cost the Son of God's life for rebels, for enemies, for sinners. And He did it willingly and He did it freely so that we who are sinners and rebels might experience the love of God poured out into our heart through Jesus and His Holy Spirit. Father, thank You that we can be redeemed at no merit of our own we can be saved by no accomplishment of our own, but only by grace through faith in Jesus. May every person here experience and know that salvation. 
And may we leave living as the redeemed of the Lord. The people of God. Servants, high priests of the Most High God. And may we fix our eyes on Jesus as we seek to do that. Father, work in hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. As we stand...